This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. This episode is hosted by Jessica Brodkin, who you may remember from episode number 11. She's filling in as a guest host for All Possibilities as I take care of my newborn baby. Enjoy the show! What comes to mind when you think of an archetypical healer? Maybe Mother Teresa, maybe Ramdas. Today, we won't be speaking to a saint or an author, but we will be speaking with a beautiful soul who heals through her modern practice of psychoanalysis and heals through her ancient practice of channeled music. I'm Jessica Brodkin, filling in for Julie Chan. Let's rock and roll. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Deborah, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited. So, you are you have so many talents and healing that you are offering the world you can you tell us a little bit about who you are uh sure i'm a psychotherapist in private practice here in new york i've been doing that for about 25 years Mm -hmm. um i offer talk therapy trauma therapy using a technique called emdr Mm -hmm. i use meditation i also do dream work in my practice and I've taught uh, meditation at various groups in the city as I've got well. Some dreams for you to oh. share. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And um, I also do healing music, not in my therapy practice, but outside of my practice. So you were a classic healer. Yeah. What brought you to therapy? To doing therapy. To doing therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, like many therapists, we started in our own psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that's too much of a secret no. that a lot of us start there. I had been doing acting in my 20s here in New York, and I had a wonderful acting teacher who recommended that everybody in the class do therapy in order to get them to know themselves better. So I undertook a very intensive therapy process, and as an outcome of that, it became very clear that I was no longer supposed to be an actress, that I was supposed to really train and work with people and be a therapist. So I went and got a master's of social work. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, I did a postgraduate training in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy uh, and finished that. Uh, It's got to be, it's almost 20 years ago now. So you're not, I mean, being a therapist is wonderful, but you're, you're not just a sort of run of the mill therapist you teach meditation as well. Mm -hmm. What type of meditation do you teach? Vipassana insight meditation. And that's one of the most popular in America, correct? Yeah, it's come to be known often as mindfulness meditation. And there are a lot of people who've popularized it. Uh, So I think a a lot of people know of it by now. So what, how does, how is Vipassana different from other forms of meditation? Uh, Vipassana is where you are with what's arising Uh in your mind or body, sensations, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, just as it is. So you're not trying to orchestrate a different state. You're not trying to just focus on one thing, although initially you'll focus on the breath. Mm -hmm. But that's just to stabilize your mind so it's not jumping all over the place so that you can then be with whatever arises. And that's similar to some systems, but a lot of systems you're trying to get a certain state of mind or a certain state of concentration. Um, Like, uh, I guess, shamatha or shamatha? Shamatha is the concentration aspect of vipassana. So if you go on a long retreat, oftentimes you'll spend a number of days just focusing on what they call an object. Often it's the breath. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that to achieve a level of peace and calm and ease so that you can then open up to be with whatever arises. Sometimes they call that choiceless awareness. Wow. Very cool. And Vipassana is normally done in the U.S. as a 10-day retreat. Is that right? I think it, it, it 
It varies. Sometimes there are weekend retreats. Uh, it, it depends. I think the Goenka system is 10-day retreats, mm-hmm. but there's also the Insight Meditation people, and they might do seven-day retreats, weekend retreats. There are also three-month retreats. I'll be going uh, in a little while on a self-retreat, and the minimum they recommend is 10 days, and some people actually stay for a year. They just stay in retreat for a year. Yeah. Um, because I guess in, I'm familiar with the Tibetan system where people retreat, I think minimum of three years. Yeah. Those are very serious retreats. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're no joke. They live in like concrete yeah. blocks in the mountains yeah. and they only eat barley yeah. and they have like one real meal a week. Yeah. Um, I'm not that at that level <laughs> of practice. We don't, we yeah. don't, I'm not, I'm not saying you, you, you have to be, yeah. I, 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 not in this lifetime for me. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But, um, who knows? Right. So do you. So how has Vipassana or meditation changed your life? And Well, uh, for me, because I had been in the therapy mm-hmm. uh, so intensively before I started the Vipassana, um, sometimes people come into that and they're dealing with a lot of their own personal issues mm-hmm. and learning to be kind and compassionate mm-hmm. in the face of whatever might arise. But because I had done a lot of therapy prior, uh, what the Vipassana has done is that Uh, at a certain point, your practice deepens and you can start actually seeing into the nature of reality. So it can be very illuminating. At times it can be very frightening. Yes, Uh, I've had that. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, you walk away with uh, a sense that there's more to life than meets the eye and it's a very deep sense of meaning. That's beautiful. Yeah. Do you teach meditation to your clients? Uh, I, I will teach them to be, sometimes something might be coming up uh, emotionally or somebody might be stuck in uh, an intellectualized version of what their issue might be mm-hmm. at, at the same time as they're having a really uh, profound body sensation. So I would help move them from just talking about what might be troubling them to really being with what's arising. Oftentimes it's arising in the body. So if they bring their awareness to the belly or the chest Mm -hmm. and they stay there, it will start to unravel. They might have a memory or Mm -hmm. an image. Sometimes they might start crying and have Mm -hmm. a release. So the meditation uh, is uh, a practice that can help people to be with a deeper level of what's arising rather than just what they're thinking about. Got it. Yeah. I think because in, in my work, as you know, as an energy healer, um, a lot of my clients are in therapy mm-hmm. or I recommend them to go to therapists and then they come to me and we do a lot of body work mm-hmm. and releasing and forgiveness and kind of like the more spiritual aspect mm-hmm. of it in terms of working on the energy field. So they'll release trauma through the work that we do together. But I think that it works really well when you're with a therapist, because there's the level of the mind, there's a level of the spirit. Yeah. Um, my question to you, sorry, I'm just, is um, I do recommend a dial- DBT to a lot of people, dialectical behavior therapy, as in terms of mindfulness brought into a therapeutic form. Is that what you do? Or is that in a way what you do? Because it sounds, or is your, is your therapy very yeah. mindful? Or uh, I'm not really that familiar with DBT, oh, okay. only other than knowing what it stands for yeah. and that it's useful for a lot of people. Okay. Um, what I do is help people get in touch with very deep-seated patterns mm-hmm. of belief and emotion yeah. that are often formed in childhood experience yeah. because those are the ones that get encoded um, as we're developing. And... Um, if those can be uh, experienced at the root of how they were developed, they can be released. And oftentimes the, there'll be a spontaneous, more authentic impulse to behave in different ways, in kinder ways, in more creative ways. And you don't have to force someone to work toward that because as one is released, this new way of being will start to come into focus and then I'll help them to actually 
actualize that in the world to make that manifest so it's not just a working through of the old patterns uh-huh. but it's helping people to develop who they really are in their truth and bring that out into the world that's really remarkable what exactly could you explain to people what um, emdr is emdr is a uh, trauma treatment uh-huh. it was developed by a woman named francine shapiro Okay. And what it does is it uses what's called bilateral stimulation. Is it like this stuff? It's uh, I'm tapping. Yeah. I'm tapping yeah. my my shoulders it as can, we do this. It's any any uh, stimulation on one side of the body and then the other. So mm-hmm. originally it was eye movements. So mm-hmm. EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Or it could be tapping, or it could be a sound. And for some reason, if you bring up the trauma, and there's a very highly structured protocol to do that, so it's not just people home alone bringing up a trauma and then no, tapping it's on themselves. Done, yeah, no, it's done. You know, with the therapist, uh, and it follows a protocol on how you're going to bring it up in a way that will be safe. And then when you use the bilateral stimulation, what can happen is that the trauma or the emotional trauma can be processed. The problem and the difficulty with trauma is that it can get stuck in the original way that we experienced it. So when it's triggered, it can take over our personality in a certain way. And we're freaked out the way we were when whatever we experienced. And then it goes back and recedes out of our consciousness. So then it's on and off and yes. on and off. And EMDR is one technique that's used to switch it from being on and off to actually being processed so it becomes a memory. I used to go to a functional neurologist. Are you familiar with those? No, I'm not. It's, it's, um, they use a lot of techniques, and I think that we were doing EMDR to process trauma. Uh-huh. And a functional neurology, it's they have a, their base degree is in chiropractic, and then they're kind of like sort of alternative doctors, but they're doctors. I don't know, but I know that they um, they work with a lot of this kind of stuff. But I think we were doing it with eye movement. I see. I I did a lot of eye movement practices when I went. To, it did process a lot of my trauma. I see. Out, uh-huh. um, but I didn't tap. I didn't do a tapping with anyone. Yeah, that type of tapping. Yeah, it really, I've done EFT tapping, but that's a whole different, different type of that's yeah, a whole different yeah, type of it tapping. It really it's like what the person prefers. Eye movement, tapping, mm-hmm. sound. It's it's not important which one is chosen other than one a person will prefer one over the other. Got you. Yeah. Got you. So one thing that is um so EMDR is something that you're you're trained in doing and you work with a lot of trauma people. Um have you I ask this to a lot of therapists because I think a lot of therapists sort of uh, attract a certain niche, right? Do you feel like you your clients are a certain niche and that there are certain patterns that you see in your clients over and over again that you help them move through? Or is your is, is it more a broad spectrum? Um, I don't know that I could generalize that there is yeah. a certain niche. I could, you know, the way that I work... Um, uh-huh is that I work very deeply with the underpinnings of somebody's conditioning. Yeah. So somebody who would want um, coping skills or um, other ways of handling things. There's like solution-focused therapy. There's so many different kinds so of therapy. Many. There's therapy where you're aware of your thoughts, like cognitive behavioral, yes. and you change your behavior patterns. And all of those are you know, right for the person who needs it. Right. Right. So uh, the kind of work that I do is with people who are willing to really look at their deep seated emotional patterns and conditioning and try to bring this or get out of the way so that this more authentic sense of self can uh, be born and come out into the world. I, uh, that sounds great. And I assume you've had a, a lot of movement in terms of like people have had transformations in your Yeah, clients. also, you know, I also do a lot of dream work. So, what, so. yeah, can you describe your dream work? I, I, can I tell you my horrible dream? Yeah, but I don't, I I don't know that, that without knowing you, I don't know that I'll be okay. able to help you with it. But <laughs> I'm happy to happy. hear it. Okay. 
All right. Well, anyway, please describe uh, your dream work. I just want to share this, like, my horrendous (laughs) dreams. No. You know, dreams are, they come from deep within us, and we can wake up in the morning and go, what was that nonsensical thing? Yeah. And it can make little sense. But when we put our awareness and attention to it, it really can be a message that's tailor-made for the dreamer. Mm. And what you have to do is go into it on its own terms. It's like a poem and it's speaking in symbols. So rather than rushing in and saying, oh, this means this because when I was three, this happened and that, you really stay with the dream and let yourself almost meditate on the images and stay with the images just as they are, which comes from Jung, Carl Jung. Yes. Uh, he really felt the dream was an opportunity to enter the dream world rather than to take the dream world and automatically put it into our daily life kind of consciousness. So when we enter the dream world and really deal with it as a symbolic form, uh, it has uh messages about our growth, where our growth is headed. It has messages uh, and information about patterns that might be transforming and about different parts of ourselves because we're not just our waking ego and the dream will speak to those different parts of ourselves as well. That's beautiful. Now I don't want to share my Okay. <laughs> I mean, I can't, but it's, no, I, I am very uh, open to be revealed um, as long as my clothes are on and then I'm happy. Um, but it, it, it might be weird out of context. I mean, I could tell. No, I should do. Should I do it? What do you think? Same my weird dream. Okay. Weird dream. May I? It's up to you. Okay. Uh, that's a very good therapist answer. Yes. <laughs> Should I share my my? Uh, I don't know. What are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> were you a comedic actress? Yes, you were. Yeah, I did a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. How long were you an actress? I was an actress from uh, college. Yeah. When I was like seventeen, eighteen, until I was about twenty-eight. So about ten years I did in college, and then I tried to be the New York actress type thing, but. Was it didn't go you, that far? Were you trying to do theater? Or I was trying, trying to do theater. Yeah. 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 Did you feel alive when you were performing? Yeah. I mean, there's something about that when it, it get. It's like when the thinking mind kind of shuts off, uh-huh. and you're just right in the flow and in the moment. Um, that's very, very enlivening. My favorite moments as a stand-up were always writing on stage. We're always crowd work and creating, and 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 the audience feels it when it's created on the spot because oh, yeah. there are things on that I would do in crowd work. There was, um, I remember this one time I was doing a long set, which were my favorite. If I got to do 30 or 40 minutes, I was like, yes, you know? And there was a, it was a small room, but it was packed. It was like 50 people. Anyway, um, there was a couple sitting up front who had been together for seven years. They were in their twenties and they were not engaged and they were living together and you could see the frustration on her face, right? Uh-huh. You could just see it. And I just went in there and I was like, you could put a coal. I, I was very crude uh, in her vagina. And with all of that angst and pressure, a diamond will pop out <laughs> and you can marry her. And I mean, mm-hmm. and then just like the, 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 just everyone roaring yeah. at the people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all the unplanned stuff. It's all know? the unplanned like stuff. right is, of the moment and very oh, creative. Oh, it's magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the written material I felt never really. But anyway, but you stopped acting because you felt that. Were you acting from place of wounds or a woundedness, or you know, it was a mixture. It was uh, creative, and mm-hmm. it also allows people to feel parts of themselves that they may not have been able to feel uh, when they were growing up. So, you know, it. We forget when we're watching actors and we see them in a role that it's actually that person Mm -hmm. uh, who is experiencing the role. So it can really broaden the way you think about yourself. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the other thing that's very interesting about you that we haven't touched on is that you are a harmonium player Mm -hmm. and use that for... It's separate from your practice, correct? Yeah, it's separate from, totally separate from my psychotherapy practice. I write um, music and play the harmonium. I'm so glad you're still doing creative work. Yes. So 
you'll get to hear Deborah play her harmonium and the story behind how she started her music. story or a comment you'd like to share i'd love to hear from you follow the show on twitter instagram and facebook at all possible show you can also connect with me directly at my own website beingmypurpose.com the superior audio quality on mouth media network is powered by sennheiser and as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Through the dark night 
Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. You're welcome. It's always a joy for me to get to play. So um, you said, what is this song? Did you write the song? I did. It's, it's based amazing. On a, it's based on a poem um, mm-hmm. by a Zen monk named Ryokan, who, if I remember right, was from the 16th century. And wow. the Where poem, was he? Uh, I think he's Japanese. Okay. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not great with remembering um, where be facts and that sure. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the poem was, oh, oh, that my monk's robes were wide enough to hold all the suffering people wow. in this floating world. That's beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I guess it reminds me of Kuan Yin a bit. Exactly. That you come to... Uh, through practice, through understanding and insight, you come to have a wide open, awake heart. Does, is that ever painful for you to hear a lot of people's trauma? Um, it, it, you know, the world is painful, uh, yeah. you know, and when you open up to it, uh, whether it be in my work or just, you know, walking down the street, it can be incredibly painful, but the the whole point of spiritual practice for me, I think, and for many people, is that uh, as we open to the pain, our hearts can open and respond in a loving way, in a loving and wise way. So rather than having to screen it out, because, you know, sometimes some of the things that go on are just unbearable, unbearable. that as we gain a sort of inner resilience, there's uh, an opportunity to respond in a loving way. That doesn't always mean, you know, 
taking an immediate action, but having an even just having an emotional response that can be one of care. And for those people who are awake, uh, really awake and um, awakened beings, that that response, I think, uh, it permeates them um, more than, you know, somebody like me. Yeah. And um, for our listeners, could you explain a little bit what a harmonium is? Um, a harmonium is uh, an organ that is played the keyboard is played with one hand and then the uh, other hand is actually pumping like an accordion mm-hmm. except that it's like a box and it sits either on the floor or on a table and is portable uh, so it's not like an organ in a church yeah uh, you can take it with you and it's used a lot in indian chanting i was going to say yeah yeah so um I originally had started my music by leading what's called kirtan, which I is do not, yeah, kundalini, yeah, uh, and and uh, just yoga, Hindu, yoga um, call and response chanting. Uh-huh. And what happened was that I started to uh, take the sacred mantras and uh, put them to my own music, and then you did. Uh, yeah, and then eventually the the whole it kind of shifted. And I started writing in English, but I say I started writing. I always felt like it was coming through me. Like you were channeling. I was channeling it. And, you know, I didn't have a musical background and I would just sit in front of the harmonium and hear sounds and work things out, you know, kind of in the way somebody would hunt and peck on a typewriter. I was hunting and pecking on the harmonium. And the next thing I knew, there'd be a fully form song so i don't really consider that i'm a musician and that i'm writing these things i mean but that's how a lot of our great classical musicians worked and that's and they attributed their music to that as yeah. as i'm sure you know yeah bach and mozart and yeah, yeah. And at very <laughs> early ages yeah. right yeah. they were channeling yeah. music yeah um so you no longer oh wow so many questions um the music felt amazing just to experience it like like the the room looks brighter like the colors look brighter which i attribute to how i feel after i meditate for a long time mm-hmm. the colors feel brighter mm-hmm. around me and i feel calmer so this is you're channeling healing music yeah and what i do now is that i will bring it into people's homes mm-hmm. um to get away from any sense of it being a performance and everyone will sit um, quietly. There's no clapping. Uh, there's no talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, songs like this, as well as chants where people participate, will go on for about an hour and a half or more. Mm-hmm. And by the time uh, we're finished, the energy is very palpable. It's very thick. And it, if you, sometimes people have said, I can't get up. Uh, and it's very healing. It's a very loving energy. I've participated in a lot of sound healing uh-huh. in terms of um, I've been to a lot of sound baths and with shamans. And I don't know if you know Dream Seed. They're pretty cool. Yeah, group. I went once or twice. Yeah. 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 They're in, um, in Greenpoint, part yeah. of Golden Drum. Yeah. So it's a similar kind of feeling. And of course, I've, I've seen the harmonium in some of the, I guess, more spiritual yoga studios. Yes. Like... Yeah. Um, Dharma yoga in Park Slope. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's used a lot. You know, it's used a lot mm-hmm. for the uh, sacred mantras in Sanskrit. Which uh, mantras? I'm, I really love mantras, mm-hmm. so maybe this is a selfish question. Uh, which mantras do you use? Do you... Yeah. You mean in terms of the music? Mm-hmm. With the music, yeah. Um, well, I have one chant that I uh, wrote or was written through me uh-huh. with the mantra, Om Shantaye Namaha. Okay. Um, what does that mean? May the Divine Mother make me a vehicle for peace. So this is the Divine Feminine going through you? Yes. Um, very, And that's one of your favorite mantras? Yeah. I mean, there's that. I have one Jai Ma, which is just victory to the Mother, which is a Divine Feminine energy. So so you're doing divine feminine work through your music. Yes. That's very cool. Yes. Um, Which most people would not <laughs> discern. So, oh. yeah, I see that you're, I mean, they wouldn't have the name for it. So oh, to I say divine that, feminine? That, yeah, I see that that's something that you're 
aware of slightly obsessed yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. i'm slightly more than slightly obsessed with the divine feminine and bringing that um consciousness back to the planet which i think we really need since we're destroying our earth um and um and ourselves and ourselves and each other yeah I guess I I share this a little earlier and I guess I'll share this with our listeners. I work a lot with the divine feminine with my clients Mm -hmm. in terms of bringing in that consciousness because the way that I see, the way that I was taught and the way that I, uh, I see the world is that most of, most women use a wounded masculine sort of, uh, archetype in order to connect to their own power. Yes. While, being while denying themselves and being denied, they, they don't really understand. Most people don't understand how to be powerful through a feminine energy Yes, and what even feminine energy means. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of very successful women, let's say in New York city, financially well off or however, who have difficulties in relationships and difficulties, um, being with a male partner and not sort of emasculating this person. And also, connecting to themselves there's a part of themselves that they feel disconnected from the way that i personally uh remedy that is through studying and connecting with goddesses Uh throughout history Mm -hmm. because i i find that um by studying the goddesses even if you don't believe in goddesses it's a it's an archetype it's a energy it's um a myth mythos that people can, can, I personally believe in goddesses, uh, obviously or not obviously, but how do you, I mean, I guess you connect through the feminine through this music. Yes. And, uh, originally, uh, when I had no access to the feminine, I did a divine mother mantra. Okay. And I just, you know, it was like a, a, a shot in the dark. I didn't know what I was doing, uh-huh. uh, but I knew there was something absent in me uh-huh. and I, I had been doing the meditation practice and at a certain point it came, was coming up dry and I felt that I had insight into things, but that there was a kind of a heart piece that was missing. So the Vipassana is insight meditation. So yes. it sounds like Vipassana by itself was in the long term was not enough. For me, for, for many you. people it is. I mean, they do the meta practice yes. and they really develop the heart and loving kindness through this meta practice was a loving kindness practice, but somehow I was not connecting with it. Uh And I think it's because when you, when I did the divine mother mantra, I felt like I was connecting to something much larger than me Uh and that there was an energy and a power from which I'm born, but that is not the little me that I think of. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that's why it was a better route for me in hindsight and then sit down and go, this is a better route for me. You know, it just sort of happened. Right. And in doing that, um, after very short time, I, the energy became apparent to me. So I am familiar with, uh, Maitri. Maybe that's the right way to say it. Maitri. It's, uh, do you, uh, do you know, uh, Pema Chodron is this, uh, I'm sure you know who she is. Yes. She's a Tibetan nun who's quite popular, written a uh-huh. lot of really great books. But she does this, uh, I think I'm saying it right, I'm not positive, Maitri, it's a loving kindness mm. towards the self and towards others. Mm-hmm. I think her take on Tibetan Buddhism for me feels really different than other people's. I don't know about you. Is is um, is your, is the, the mantra that you use, the divine mother mantra, is that, is it in Sanskrit or? It's Sanskrit. Okay. Yeah, I had to, um, I again, I didn't do it consciously, but I was steered away from the Buddhist practice. You were, yeah, toward a Hindu divine mother mantra, and you know, in in Hinduism, there's there are so many goddess figures, so many. So I think it was something that was missing in my own heart and spirit. Yeah, and when you open up, sometimes different things happen that lead you in a different direction. Coming up. You will get to hear how Deborah's spirituality influences her therapy practice. You parted the veil. You parted the veil, and now I know my soul can take sail. My soul can take sail. My heart can grow. Calling for your love, calling for your love. 
you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. and I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. Right. So that must have really changed who you are. Yes, very much so. And now science backs it up. Yes. Which it used to not. I mean, they they didn't have the data then. Right. Well, we're very data-driven here. We are very data-driven. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think the, you know, the monks really needed the data, but we seem to. Yeah. Is, um, do you feel like you have moved closer towards enlightenment? No. Is that a goal of yours? Yes. I mean, some people would say that it's already there and you don't really have to move uh, toward anything. But I'm, you know, I have my own patterns of thinking and behaving. What you, what does happen over time is that you see that the patterns that you have are also constructed and they come out of your own conditioning and you don't have to be identified with them and that there's a larger space uh, that can hold these patterns so that they don't have to overtake you Uh and you can relate to the patterns from this larger awareness rather than becoming the patterns and believing them. So uh, I I guess somebody who's actually awake uh, would be really more, I think, uh, more aware, uh, uh, more rooted in themselves as the awareness. And for myself, I would go back and forth between kind of being in a pattern and then stepping back and relating to it from more of an aware space. Do you feel like your personal patterns have changed over time? Or do you have you just become detached and aware of them? Um, they, I've become much more aware of them. Um, and I say that I have more options so that if they come up, uh, I know how to work with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know how to put them to the side I I know which ones might need attention and which ones I might be able to disregard without Mm -hmm. being harsh to myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's much more kindness inside. And then certain um, not-so-nice beliefs about myself, I would say, are gone. That's amazing. Yeah. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm next. Uh, next. (laughs) So... Do you know, because a lot of, it seems like some of the lessons and the techniques, maybe not the techniques, but the lessons and the beliefs around in psychotherapy and in the spiritual practices, they're very complementary. Yes. And not just complementary, but some of them are 
are mirrors of each other. Yes. I, I found that, I mean, I'm not a psychoanalyst, but I found that in the energy patterns of the body and in the patterns that we see in the language that, let's say, energy healers use mm -hmm. and the language that psychotherapists use, we're talking about the same thing. We're just using different words. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in the spiritual practice, they may call it karmic patterns, right? Yes, yes, um, family karma. Right, it's karma and there's internalized karma and unless you deal with the inner karma, you're going to meet up with it in your life. Yes. Um, and I, I can see that where people uh, are really working toward shifting a pattern and they may then encounter a situation in their life where they're challenged mm -hmm. to really move through that pattern and respond in a different way. So usually therapists won't talk about, well, isn't this kind of freaky that you're working through this pattern and life has presented you with this exact situation, whereas a spiritual person might, a spiritual counselor might be more aware of how everything is working in tandem. Absolutely. So, you know, I will point those kinds of things out because for me, it gives a really great sense of meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just a person on their own struggling through transforming something, but sometimes the universe actually cooperates and gives a situation that uh, if the person moves through the internal pattern, they can then respond in a new way and in a different way. And then in spiritual language, that karmic pattern doesn't have the energy that it used to have. Right. Absolutely. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So you're basically tackling uh, issues from two angles. Yeah, I that's mean, what it sounds like. I think because I or am who I angles. am, right. I hear it in that way. Mm -hmm. I would not say to someone, this is your karmic pattern. I, you know, it's really inappropriate, especially if that's not their belief system. What if it is their belief system? Uh, then we might we might talk that language. But I always would want to talk the language of the person who's seeing me, not to right. impose my language upon it. But I would I would point out, you know, because it is sort of astonishing that if you're working on something and then the universe presents that situation to, to you, that is kind of astonishing. And it moves us beyond thinking that everything is meaningless. You know, the kind of crisis of, oh, this is meaningless and it's all suffering. Well, actually, you know, if you pay attention, it does, it's not meaningless. And sometimes things are working and cooperating so that you evolve. Right. That evolution can be very painful. Yes, very painful. Very painful, but on a deep level, um, very real and very profound and give you a, a larger sense of purpose. So you have been on your path for some time now. Yeah. And do you feel fulfilled? I, I feel like, you know, any other human being in many <laughs> ways, you know, I, I feel like I've um, touched into places that help me. Yeah and help my understanding and my compassion toward myself. Yes. Um, I don't feel complete. Uh -huh. um, I'm still a struggling human being like everybody else. Uh, but I had, when I started my practices, I had a lot of deep questions. And I'd say that many of them are answered. So that gives you more of a sense of peace with things as they are. Deborah, you've had... You have a lot of wisdom and a lot of compassion. And I guess I would say, someone would say talent and others would say channeled magic, goddess, healing, music. But what final thoughts and tips do you have for our listeners that they can walk away with? What, what comes to me really is that uh, everyone has their struggles and that if you're going to develop anything, develop your capacity to care for yourself and to treat yourself with love. A lot of people think that external achievement is going to give that to them, especially in this culture. And that's nice. External achievement is wonderful and, you know, I'm not putting it down, but it's not a substitute. It's not a substitute for just opening your heart to yourself in your humanity in your pain, in your grief, in your confusion. Um, that's really key. And once you can do that with yourself, uh, what I find is that you're more able to do it with other people. Nobody's going to remember when we're gone that, you know, we achieve this or achieve that. Or, no one's really 
going to care unless the work that you did actually touched them and helped them. Um, but people do remember the experience of being with somebody who listens and who's kind and who's empathic and who's caring. So really bringing those qualities toward ourselves. You know, are we confused one day? How do I listen to this confusion? How do I meet it with care? How do I meet my own heart with love? It's really, for me, the most important thing. That was really profound. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was so beautiful. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, I have a website. It's awakepresence.com, and all the information about my therapy practice is on there. And then on there, there's a link uh, to a music page that I have on another site. So if they want to hear some of the music, they can just press the link and then they'll be routed over there. And pe can people book you? Uh, for the music? Yes. Um, or You know, it's, it's really been a word of mouth, but if people are interested in booking <laughs> me, you know, they okay. can, of course, get in touch with me. I'm open to doing that. But it really, you know, it, it really, I'm so not into it being any kind of a performance. You I know. mean, it could still be... I mean, I've led a lot of full moon circles exactly. and moon circles and yeah. people are just chilling. Yeah, exactly. You know, as they understand that it's a meditative healing kind of an yeah. experience. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. This was really fun. Thank you so much. And for you, some thoughts to walk away with. Remember to treat yourself with loving kindness. Think about how we can heal through music and connect to a divine feminine energy that some of us may feel that we are missing. Thank you so much. I've been your host. My name is Jessica Brodkin. You could find me at loveandlightservices.com. Be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.